Are you in Exodus chapter 34? Yeah, okay, all right, Exodus chapter 34. We've been asking the question, what is God like? And thankfully, we don't have to come up with that answer on our own. That in Exodus 34, God reveals himself to Moses and the children of Israel. And it's so important that you realize that this is God talking about himself. It's not someone else's description of who he is. This is his own description. This is his bio on his Facebook page. He is telling you what he's like. And of all the words he could have chose to describe himself, in this paragraph, he tells us what he's like. Exodus 34, 5, he says, The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, which is Yahweh in Hebrew, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth in worship. Now, we have gone through this line by line. If this is your first Sunday, you have, we've gone through that text line by line and gone through every one of those words, compassionate, gracious, full of mercy. But today, I want to go over this last line. I want to look at Moses' response. When Yahweh revealed who he was, this is Moses' response. He bowed his head toward the earth and he worshiped. When the name is revealed, there is only one response necessary, and that is worship. In this moment, all that Moses is is completely devoted to the Lord and worship. His outer physical body, he bows. His mind, his will, his emotions, spiritually, it's, his whole being is focused and given over to Yahweh. And let me tell you something. Everybody in this room is worshiping something today. You are created to worship. Even people that say they don't believe in God, let me tell you, they believe in something. They're given their affection, they're given their attention, they're given their devotion to something. And it can be as something as trivial as college football, but you are giving yourself over to something. Go dogs. You are giving yourself, we'll see in a few weeks, won't we here? All the balls fans in the room. But listen, you are, your whole life is, is, you're giving your attention to something. And because you were created to worship, we can't help but do it. This is what we do. We find things and we make them the object of our affection. And the only person, the only one worthy of worship of all of us is Yahweh, the one true God. And the reason he's the only one who's worthy of worship is because that's the only thing, he's the only one you can worship that won't destroy your life. Worship money and it will destroy your life. Worship your family and you will be sorely disappointed because your family will let you down time and time again. Worship your job and you'll be fired and they'll hire someone else in two weeks and totally forget about you. Yahweh's the only one that can withstand your worship and it not consume you. Anything else you worship besides him will consume you and ultimately destroy your life. And so for me... My favorite passage on the subject of worship is actually Revelation chapters 4 and 5. So if you would flip over to 4 and 5, Revelation 4 and 5. And th that last song we sang uh, that was so powerful until the pterodactyl released. I don't know what was up with that. But 
<laughs> that last song is literally, what we sang is what's happening in the throne room even now. It's in Revelation 4 and 5. It talks about the worship of God. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, it says, Then I looked and I saw a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had heard before spoke to me like a trumpet blast. And the voice said, Come up here and I will show you what must happen after this. And instantly I was in the spirit and I saw a throne in heaven and someone sitting on it. The one sitting on the throne was as brilliant as gemstones like jasper and carnelian and the glow of an emerald circle around his rainbow. If you, and if you keep reading in chapter 1, if you go all the way down uh, to, the, to the end of verse 1 there, you're going to see, I'm sorry, in chapter 4, you're going to see the songs that they sing. The angels sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. The, the 24 elders, and they cry out, Worthy are you, Lord, our Lord, to receive honor and glory and power. Created all things by your will. They existed and were created by you. What you find in Revelation chapter 4 and 5 is loud shouts, singing, bowing. You see colors. You see a lot like a Pentecostal worship service is what I'm trying to tell you. You see living creatures. There's a few creatures in here this morning, but listen, what we are trying to do on a Sunday morning is nothing less than what's going on in the throne room of heaven right now, and that's to put our eyes on him and to worship the one true God. Father, we worship you today. We thank you for your word. I pray that your word would speak to us. Let us enter into your presence. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Everybody said amen. amen. I want to look at this text in Revelation and just give you a few principles on worship, some things that I see that can help you today. Number one, it says that when John looked, he saw a door standing open in heaven. For me today, that door represents opportunity. An open door is an opportunity. And the open door of heaven that John sees is an opportunity to respond who God is. Now in our lives, we often pray for open doors, don't we? And I'm not against praying for open doors, but whenever we pray for open doors, it's usually to make our lives better, right? God, open the door for that job. Open the door for that uh, special someone in my life. God, open the door. Make a way for that promotion. It's, it's, it's open door. Nothing wrong with praying for open doors. Pray for them and see if God won't do it. But I want to tell you today, there is a door that's already opened there is a door today to the heavens, that's, and it's really the only door you'll ever need open because you have access to the one thing that will give your life meaning and purpose and get you through the toughest times, and you have access to the very throne and presence of God today. The scriptures say that we are seated in heavenly places with Christ, who is our life. That should be enough. That should be all that we need. I'm fine with praying for open doors for jobs, but don't just pray for open doors for jobs and neglect the door that's already open for you to come into his presence this morning. An open door is an opportunity. Now, I have a lot of stories in my life about doors. <laughs> and, uh, and I was trying to think of the best one to tell. I could have told the one where we used to do this retreat here called Encounter Retreats. Any, any old school people in the room you remember Encounter Retreats? Good things. Hey, they might be coming back in 2023. Just wait, but we'll see. <laughs> A version of them, we'll see. But we used to have this thing, the last session, we used to do this session called Closing the Open Door. 
And we built an actual door that could stand up by itself on like a door frame. And we would open it up and close it. This is just one door story I could tell you today. But it was my job to get the open door in the back of my truck off the mountain after an encounter retreat. And so someone asked me as they're loading it up, do you think we need to tie it down? Nah, it's good. We got it. It's a door. I'm coming down Signal Mountain. Everything's good. I get on I-75 coming back towards the church. And all of a sudden I hear, whoop. I think, what was that? (laughs) And I think Corey was with me. Yeah, Corey Collins. And we said, dude, the door. (laughs) And it flown out of the back of my truck. And so at that point, the interstate was only two lanes because they were doing construction. And there is literally a door standing up in the middle of the highway. I can't imagine what people are thinking. So I get off the exit and we pull back around. And uh, as we're pulling up to the door laying on the interstate, we notice blue lights. And it was in that moment we had to make a split decision in that moment. And the decision was to keep on driving and let the police handle it. (laughs) The maintenance team can build another door. So, everyone was good. No one got hurt. That's one open, that's one door story I could tell you. But the one uh, that was when I was a kid, I wasn't really, I was like in Ella, uh, middle school. I was in middle school. And uh, my, my parents were not helicopter parents. They let me stay home by myself in middle school. Um, and I ended up getting locked out of our house one hot summer day. Yeah, so I'm locked out of the house And I'm thinking, now, how am I going to get the doors locked? How am I going to get back in this house? And so I devised this plan. I think I remember there's a window open upstairs. And so I go and grab all the stuff out of the shed. I'm talking coolers, beach chairs, uh, boogie boards, anything I could stand. I build a tower to get on the second story so I can climb in through. And as soon as I make it to the top, the tower falls over. So I'm like, well, that's all right. So I go to the window, and someone, I'll be John Brown if they didn't close the window and lock it up. So now I'm up here on this roof. I didn't have a cell phone. It started getting hot. It's in the summer. And so I just, it's hot, so logically I just started taking my clothes off because it was hot. And I just start throwing them on the ground, not even on the thing. And now I realize, now I'm stuck on a roof in my underwear. What am I doing up here in middle school? And so, I don't know what to do, and luckily a neighbor came out, but I didn't know her name, and so I just said, hey lady. She went, what are you doing? I said, hey lady, do you got a ladder? That's how, but I got off, you know, I, I got off and got in the house and everything, but when, when, a, when a door is closed, there's nothing you can do to open it. You in trouble. And the thing about the door to heaven is this. There, there is no one in this room is capable of opening up the door to heaven. The door to heaven only opens up from one way, and that's from the inside out. And this is why the gospel of Jesus Christ is such good news, because most other religions, what they're going to tell you is all the good things you got to do to get to heaven. But ours is the religion to say, we didn't do anything to get to heaven, that God opened the door for us, and heaven came down here to earth. We didn't initiate this. He started it. He opened the door, and I've read all the way through the book of Revelation, and I don't see anywhere in the book where it says that he's closed it. The door that's open for John is open for you today. And you can experience the life, the joy, the power, the presence of God. 
The door is open. And he said, the door is open, and I heard a loud voice that said, come up here. This is an invitation from heaven. The invitation is that God wants, number one, he wants your attention. You know, the devil doesn't have to get you to do something terrible. All the devil has to do is keep you distracted. Attention, whatever you give your attention to is what's going to have your adoration. Attention leads to adoration. And so the devil doesn't have to get you to do terrible things. All he has to do is keep you constantly distracted on trivial things. And if he can keep you constantly distracted on trivial things, and the Lord never has your attention, he'll never have your worship and your devotion. And you see, what you worship is what's forming you into its image. So if you touch this thing 200 times a day, guess what's forming you in its image? This is. There's a quote from Walter James. He says, uh, we must reflect that when we reach the end of our days, our life experience will equal what we have paid attention to, whether by choice or default. What has your attention today? What has your focus And really, the answer is we can't focus on anything anymore. You know, the attention of a goldfish is like eight seconds or maybe nine. Well, they've done it on, on this generation, and they found out that our attention span is about seven seconds. I got a better chance of getting a goldfish saved today than anybody in this room. So it's just we, we have lost our attention. We can't focus on anything. And it is destroying us from the inside out. We're being shaped and formed by things that aren't good for us. They're not bad things, but they're not God things. And there is an invitation today to, he says, come up here. What is the invitation? God is inviting us to live our lives from heaven to earth rather than from earth to heaven. So often we live our life from earth to heaven. What do I mean by that? I mean, Solomon said it like this. Solomon, the one who had intelligence, he had money, he had wisdom, he had possessions, he had long life. If you read the book of Ecclesiastes, this is what Solomon says. He says, I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after the wind. Notice what he says, life under the sun is vanity. We are not called to live under the sun. We're called to live life above the sun. There's a door open to the heavens today. So we don't have to become bitter and envious and hurt in the situation. Listen, you can be in the worst of situations, but because you're living your life from heaven down, it makes all the difference in the world. John had a terrible earthly situation. John's situation was he was exiled on the island of Patmos and he had been boiled in oil for preaching the gospel. He was in a very bad, not great situation. But God says, John, why don't you come up here and let me give you a revelation of heaven. May you see your situation through heaven's eyes rather than just your earthly eyes and your earthly situation. We all go this week, me personally, I'll just be honest, I, I had a, a time this week where I, I literally couldn't breathe. It felt like there was a thousand pound elephant sitting on my chest. 
and I had about 10 things going on in my life from church stuff, personal stuff. I mean, just all these things, and it's just sitting on me right here. And I was like, I can't breathe right now. I gotta, I gotta do something. Well, that's, that's life under the sun. That's life underneath the clouds. I had to go over here to the nature walk over here at Volkswagen. And I had to, take, I had to just walk. I had to just walk. And I was out there, and I was just... I had to pray, I said, and I listed all the things that were swirling around up here. And I don't know, maybe you're in here today and you've got a million things on your mind. And that's, the devil wants you to stay in that place. The enemy wants you to stay in that, he wants you to stay below the sun. But I had to get out and walk and pray. And as I'm walking down uh, Volkswagen, and I, you know what I did after I told God all my problems after that, I just felt it come up in my heart. I started saying, Oh, Lord, my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds. I'm out in, I'm out in Volkswagen, you know, I'm just Jesus marching out there. There's people walking their dogs like, what? I didn't have ear pods in. I, it was just me and the sunshine and the leaves. But I'm telling you, God, he, in those moments... The Lord will, heaven and earth will collapse. They will, it's like the, and you'll be, you'll be called up into a different place. And it's not that, the, I still got the same problems. It's not like the problems have changed. But what I have now is a perspective from above the sun. And it's going to help me and strengthen me and get me through the problems. Prayer is not about having all your prayers answered and getting everything you want like God is some genie. Prayer is where strength and nourishment from another world so you can live and make it in this world. I'm telling you, you can live a life above the sun. And you, I, I believe you can have such a walk with God that you, whatever situation you walk into at work, whatever you walk into in your family, that people will recognize there's something different on you. And when you come, you bring heaven with you. We got to win the battle there before we ever see it here. Let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The victory's there. You learn to walk in that and you bring it down here to this world. You can do that. You can be that. People will say, I don't know what it is about you, the, the supernatural peace that you have on your life, it's because I'm living life above the sun, not below the sun. He says, come up here, come up here. And then John says, I was in the spirit. I was in the spirit. This is so big. Worship is when we worship in spirit and in truth. And if you read uh, the first part of Revelation, John, or Revelation chapter 1 verse 10 when this whole thing starts from this vision, he, he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Now, I'm a big believer in the Lord's day. I believe, I believe in things like tithing, where you give, uh, you give you, a portion you give back to God. It's, you're making that holy. And, and, and I, just like a tithe, I believe in giving the Lord a tithe of your time. I believe in giving the Lord his day. John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. I got to thinking about all the things we could be on the Lord's day. Some people are in their PJs on the Lord's day. Some people are in the boat on the Lord's day. Some people are in the pool on the Lord's day. Some people are in their feelings on the Lord's day. Some people are in their hurt and their bitterness on the Lord's day. But John says, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And it makes all the difference. And what does it mean to worship in spirit? That's a whole other message. That's a whole other 
That's a whole other thing we could go into. But I want to say, don't think, because John says, I'm in the spirit, that that doesn't actually involve the physical body, because it does. Worship in the Bible, when you read it, there are physical things that we do with our body that are representative of spiritual truths that are going on inside of us. Let me just give you some words that we see in the scriptures a lot. Number one, we see the word bow. I I come before the Lord and I bow. That's what we do on the outside, but what does it mean on the inside? It means you have my reverence. You have my service. It means you have my obedience. When you bow to something, you're saying, I submit to you. See, when you worship God and you give him all that you are, what you're saying is, I have submitted my whole life to you. You're greater than I am. I don't, I'm not going to live by my feelings and what I want. I'm going to live by what you say and what you want. I'm going to worship you. There's words like uh, uh, Psalm 2.12 says, we should kiss the sun. That's kind of weird. What does that mean? That's, that's about affection. What are you affectionate towards? What's the object of your affection? Conrad Schaefer says, what delights us invades us. So whatever you're delighting is, it's invading your very being. That's why we come to Jesus and we make him our delight. We make him the object of our affection again because we want him to invade us. There's things like sacrifice. You bring a sacrifice. In the Old Testament, you never came to the temple without a sacrifice. You always brought something with you. And now I'm not, please don't bring any goats up in here next Sunday. That's not what I'm asking for. But the thing is, in the American church, we quit, we don't bring sacrifices anymore. We're consumers when we come to church. We're here to get, not give. What can I get from this? What can my family get from this? And the moment you feel like you're not getting it, you go to a different church up the road and and see if you can get it from them. And when you can't get it from them, you go to the next one. The problem is we're consumers and we didn't bring a sacrifice with us. You come with a What if you came to church rather than just to receive? You say, I'm coming today to give something. I'm coming to give my all. I'm coming to give my heart. I'm coming to bring a sacrifice of praise to my God. A sacrifice. I ain't showing up empty-handed. There's the, the Bible tells us to lift our hands. What's that all about? That's just about trust. I trust you today. I depend upon you. Surrender. That's right. The Bible tells us to sing. That's why you're like, why all the singing? Why all the lifting of the hands? Because this is, it's, it's an outward expression of what God's doing in our hearts. It's necessary. It says we should praise. That word praise is halal, which is like, it's loud, y'all. It's shouting. It's, it's like, whoo, let's go. You know? Yesterday, my, my daughter had a volleyball game, and uh, there was like, everyone was out of town because it's fall break, and she was sick, and, and I said, baby, you're going to play this game. I don't care if you're sick. I'm a great parent. I was like, <laughs> I said, your team needs you, and if you're not there, you're going to have to forfeit. I said, baby, you can, you're going to tough it out, and you're going to go play. And uh, so they went and they played, and they're, they're supposed to have six volleyball players. There was only five. And you know what? They won with just the five. And I was like, yeah, let's go. So anyways, when I noticed what was going on, when I, the realization came over me, all right, we only got five players, one of them's sick, but we fixing to beat this team. I started getting excited. I started shouting. I started yelling. And my son, who's seven, Mr. Joe Cool now, I would say, woo, let's go. And he would hit me. He said, Dad, shut up. 
And he was kind of, we're sitting there, and he was kind of sitting on my lap, and I'd say something, he'd go, Dad, stop. And he just kept doing that. And finally, I picked him up. I said, you can sit over there. I am excited about what's going on out here. And if you're embarrassed, you can go somewhere else. Woo, let's go. We fixing a win. Go somewhere else if you're embarrassed, man. This is exciting what's going on out here. You know, when you're excited about something, you shout about it. You yell about it. You were yelling uh, when LSU fumbled that ball yesterday on the very first opening in Tennessee. I know you stood up and yelled and you shouted. It's worth shouting about. Well, my goodness, is God not worth shouting about? Compassionate, slow to anger, forgiving, all that he is. He's worthy of all the praise we can give him today. And I want to let you know, it ain't quiet up in heaven this morning. It's not, man. There's rejoicing. There's angels. In fact, you, uh, Revelation 4 and 5, when you get in the throne room, here's what you're going to see about Revelation 4 and 5. There's five songs that are sung. Five. And each one gets progressively louder. It gets bigger. Song number one is sung by the four living creatures. Song number two is sung by the 24 elders. Song number three is sung by the four living creatures and the 24 elders together. Song number four is sung by the four living creatures, the 24 elders, and thousands upon thousands join in. And then song number five, it says, every living thing that has breath on earth and under the earth and in the earth and in the sea is all singing praise and shouting to our God. It increases, it never decreases, it never backs up. May your worship of God and your devotion to God, may it ever increase. May the more you love him, the more you see him, the more you know about him, may it cause you to lay your life down over and over again and sing praises to our God. And may this house on Sunday mornings be a place where the name of God is lifted up. You want to know what? A lot of people want the church to be a lot of things. They think we're supposed to feed the hungry now, and that's, we do feed the hungry. Like we're supposed to take care of sick people and all that stuff. We are supposed to do that. But you want to know what the number one reason for the church is? To worship the name of the Lord. That's why we exist. I don't care what culture wants us to be. This is why God made us. Philip Yancey's author, he says this, church exists primarily not to provide entertainment or to encourage vulnerability or to build self-esteem or to facilitate friendships, but to worship God. He said, if it fails in that, then it fails. We're here today to worship an almighty God. It says, when you read Revelation 5, it talks about how beautiful it is in heaven, and there's a lot of descriptions, but the number one description of what's going on in heaven is worship. That's what's happening. And it's happening because all the eyes of him. Remember, Moses has a revelation of who God is, and it results in worship. Worship is just a response to the revelation. If you have a weak revelation of who God is, you're going to have weak worship. It's a response to what you see. And in the throne room, it talks about these crazy four living creatures. And it's, it's wild. You go read it. It's a crazy description. But it says they have eyes all over their body and six wings, and they're crazy. But the, the thing about the four living creatures is though they're amazing beings in themselves, all the eyes they have are on the one who sits on the throne. They're not thinking about themselves. They're not looking at their self. They're not like, dude, check it out. I got six wings. Like, they're not like, 
their focus on the one. And the 24 elders who are rulers and have authority in their own right, they take their crowns and they throw them at the feet of the one on the throne. You see, in the presence of God, there's only one that matters. And he gets your soul attention and your soul focus. And I'm telling you, the most, just from my own experience, the most satisfied you'll ever be in your life is when you're glorifying God and lifting up his name. There ain't nothing like it. There's nothing like it when you just begin to worship him and you see how great he is. And man, I don't, you can be walking at Volkswagen. You can be driving down the road in your car on the way to work. You can be up early in the morning. You can be at the gym. And there's just something about when you put your eyes on the great I am. Yahweh, full of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The one who forgives all of our sin, rebellion, iniquity. Showing steadfast love to thousands of generations. This is who he is. And he's worthy of our worship. There's a story about um, Queen Victoria. There's two stories about her. Um, that's interesting. One was during her coronation uh, as a young queen. The etiquette is during a coronation that the queen sits and she never stands. Everyone else stands. She stays seated. And there is, they were singing Handel's Messiah at her coronation. And there's a part of that song where it says, King of kings, hallelujah, hallelujah. Everyone stands. And she was told, hey, you, you stay seated. Let everyone else stand up, but you're going to stay seated because that's royal etiquette. And, uh, well, they got to that part, and they're singing King of kings and Lord of lords. And the story says that just with tears in her eyes and her body trembling, she said, to heck with the etiquette. <laughs> and she stands up, and she says, when the king of kings and the Lord of lords is in the room, you got to stand. And she asked the chaplain when she was close to her death, do you think Jesus will come back soon? And the chaplain said, why do you want to know that? Why are you asking that question? She said, because I sure would love to lay this crown of Great Britain and India at the feet of Jesus. And you see, kings and kingdoms will all pass away. And that, in the, everyone else in the world bows to the queen. But the queen recognized in that moment, there's one greater than me. And he's the one that sits upon the throne. I want to close today by just, um, I wanted to be a little bit shorter with my message because I want us to enter back into a time of worship together. And I want to encourage you to take some time and just worship the Lord. Open up your heart. Maybe you're, maybe you're, maybe you feel really dry on the inside. Maybe life is just hitting you blow after blow and you're really because of that, you just feel like you're, you're like Solomon living beneath the sun, under the sun. But I'm asking the Lord that you would come above the sun today. And in your spirit, you would be seated in heavenly places with him. And uh, so I'm going to, if you want to come to the altar, you can come to the altar and worship. If you want to stand, you can stand. If you want to kneel. But uh, actually, I'm going to ask you all to stand right now. So I'm going to step back here. Maybe you can just lift your hands as a sign of surrender all over the room. Let's worship the Lord just for a few moments. Thank you, Jesus. We worship you this morning. You are worthy.
worthy this morning, Jesus. We glorify your name. We magnify your name. Come on, church, will you just begin to lift your voice all over the room? Jesus, we worship you today. We thank you for who you are, Lord Jesus. Great and mighty God. Great and mighty God. Father, we worship and adore you, Jesus. And I worship you, almighty God. There is none like you.
Can we just lift our hands all over the room? He's worried.